You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt McGacky, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians, talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Sarp Kesky of Bipolar Architecture. There's this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome back to Fly in the Call. Today's guest is John Russell of Gnawing, a really sick, fuzzed-out rock band from Richmond, Virginia. They recently released their second EP titled Shaky via Refresh Records. In this episode, we talk all about the EP, John's wide range of influences, working on an LP during a pandemic, and a whole lot more. So sit back and enjoy. Right when we were getting ready to like put the record out was when all the COVID stuff like you know yeah really happened and then we we're like okay this is a bad time to do promo <laughs> yeah but I mean how has it been for you like you know releasing the seven inch right as that was all you know coming down um the the end result was a lot better than I foresaw <laughs> like at first like we Josh and I had a conversation like like probably like the day before or two days before the record came out. And I was like, dude, like I feel really guilty because this might just totally flop because we won't have a chance to promote it. Cause like I, my plan was like, okay, cool. We'll get a couple pre-orders and then a lot of the sales will come from gigs. Cause we had planned like almost two weeks full worth of dates. Um, and he was like, no, nah, dude, he's like, the, the songs are good. Like, I'm happy we're putting it out. Like, whatever happens, happens. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm, I'm not going to feel bad when it gets three pre-orders then. <laughs> but we did decently on pre-orders. And then, like, I feel like the first Bandcamp Friday was, like, pretty soon after it came out. Mm-hmm. And we cleaned up then, too. Like, we did okay with orders then, too. So, like, it's been – I've been very pleased with the results because I truly was like, yeah, nobody is going to buy this record now. <laughs> like, this this is going to flop. So, Awesome. Yeah, I feel like those Bandcamp Fridays have been, like, quite the boon for people who are in, like, a position like you who have been, like, releasing stuff, you know, yeah. with everything going yeah. down. <laughs> I listened to the uh, Behind the Vinyl episode you did today. Um I thought it was like so interesting that you kind of first got into, you were saying you like first got into classic rock and then kind of, it seemed like you were saying you followed stuff kind of like chronologically through like the Stooges and then punk and then, you know, Dinosaur Jr. and a lot of like the 90s stuff. Um, Like how did that kind of like initial music discovery happen for you? (laughs) So I like, I was, I was kind of a uh, strange kid. Like I was really into like the first, the first CD I bought, uh, was the soundtrack to the Phantom Menace, the Star Wars movie. <laughs> um, I was really into like Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. So I like didn't really get into like rock music right away. Like I, I, the only, my only context for music was like soundtracks and then like stuff that I would hear through, uh, the like shared bathroom that my, me and my brother had, um, <laughs> 
and he's 18 months older than me. So he was really into like dashboard confessional and green day and some 41 and stuff like that. So I would hear that through the walls. So I'd be like, you know, I'd be this kid that like my only CDs were like, like I said, the star Wars soundtrack and like, you know, random burnt mixes and stuff. But then I would tell people that like, you know, that like some 41 was my favorite band. Um, and they would be like, Oh cool. Like, what do you think about like, you know, this track off of like all killer, no filler. And I'd be like, Oh, uh, I, I like that one because I'd only <laughs> ever heard like the hell song or something. <laughs> so then I did eventually get like, I, I had like a very brief phase with like that kind of stuff, like some 41. And I, I thought that like, I thought the concept of corn was really interesting. So I like, really liked corn and didn't really understand like like I wasn't like a new metal kid like I didn't wear like trip pants or anything I just like <laughs> really liked how weird that music was mm-hmm. but then I got to like eighth grade um and that's where my best friend at the time was like oh like you know I'm starting this band and like you should play drums for it and he said that because my brother played drums and I was like I don't think that like it works like like I don't think I'm just going to be good at it because my brother's <laughs> good at it um so I was really terrible and but he was like really patient with me and was like you know teaching me stuff and and he his favorite music was like Jimi Hendrix and Frank Zappa and uh like Cream and Eric Clapton and all that so and then he got me really into classic rock um just by like jamming with him you know we would always play like Hey Joe and Purple Haze and like all the all the hits. Uh, and so then I got really heavy into that. And that's kind of where my relationship with music started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my, like, I would call home and ask my dad, like, dad, have you ever heard of Bob Dylan? And he was like, yeah, like, I love Bob <laughs> Dylan. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, and so then he was really excited. So he would like take me to Barnes and Noble and like, he was like, all right, you're going to need white album. You're going to need Vaughn on Blonde. You're going to need like you know, like experience Hendrix, like the hits, like he like walked me through like, all right, you need all this stuff. Um, so it was really cool to like have that, that bond with him. Cause I think that he just kind of assumed that cause my brother like didn't really have a classic rock phase. So I think that he just kind of assumed that I was going to be like him and like, he was just going to have two weird kids, you know, like not <laughs> even have a kid that he could talk about like deep cuts of the band with. Um, so yeah, he, he was really excited and started, like, you know, showing me his, his LPs and stuff. And then, yeah, I just kind of worked chronologically. Like, once I, I had thought, like, you know, Jimi Hendrix was and is and probably will forever be my favorite musician because I just think that he is the best. Um, but I really, all of the things that I really liked about Jimi Hendrix were, like, the the feedback and the distortion and how exciting it sounded and, you know, how, like, at the shows how he would like jam his guitar into his cabinets and stuff like I just thought that that was really cool and so then finding the Stooges opened up this this new world to me and I didn't know a lot of kids that liked the Stooges so they kind of felt you know like everybody likes Hendrix and everybody has like a Jimi Hendrix t-shirt from Target and stuff (laughs) but the Stooges kind of felt like mine you know Mm -hmm. like if that makes sense like they felt like my little secret band that like I got to show people or I could just kind of you know be the only person in my little neighborhood that knew you know Funhouse and stuff (laughs) um and they have so many elements of 
of 60s rock that I like all of the elements that I thought were cool and really was really into you know like like the feedbacks and the solos and stuff like that that's all in the Stooges mm-hmm. um and then it yeah it was just like a natural progression from there like I uh my favorite way to consume anything is watching a documentary on it so I watched a documentary I think I watched the like VH1 classic albums about uh I think it's the Stooges self-title um and they kept mentioning the influence that the Stooges had on other bands and so I kept seeing the Ramones pop up and I recognized that from like t-shirts of like you know punk kids at my middle school and high school Mm -hmm. so then I was like cool I guess I should get into the Ramones and then you know like being you know like we we were raised on like the Beatles and the Beach Boys so like I love a good vocal harmony so then as soon as I heard the Ramones I was like oh this is just like pop music but with Stooges guitars okay cool like I like this like it it just kept making sense and so yeah and from there you know obviously the you get into like 80s hardcore and then like 90s grunge and nirvana and then that's a whole nother world that opens up yeah for sure yeah i'm actually i'm reading um please kill me the like punk, oh, early yes. punk oral history yeah, thing that's yeah. it's like very enthralling for sure and i mean I'm definitely yeah. like you, where it's like, I see this band name, and I'm like, okay, I know that, but I don't know these tracks, so let me check that out. I'm like, it's a really cool, like, to be able to kind of, like, go through that process of just, like, constant discovery. Yeah, yeah, I always feel like there, there are some keystone bands in my life that I, that feeling that I, like, am always trying to chase is, like, the first time that, you know, like, the first time you hear the Ramones, like, it, you can't really... Like they're they're very obviously aesthetically a punk band and stuff, but like that that music isn't. There's not much that's like off-putting or like disruptive about the Ramones' music, you know. Like it feels very natural and very much like pop music. And so when you hear that for the first time, it like I don't know, like bands like that or like the band. I always think about the first time that I heard Who's Who Do, and and like man, you know, if you could if you could like rechase that feeling and like get that again, because like that shit's. You know, that's that's one of those bands that, that like Ramones, like you can't really describe the way Husker Du sounds, you know? For sure. Yeah. And I mean, you I've seen you talk about kind of like, you know, wanting to bring in that pop element and also that kind of like distortion and fuzziness and everything. Um, but I feel like that doesn't quite, you know, it doesn't quite fit in with the punk current punk scene or the current indie scene or, you know, stuff like that. Like, so where do you kind of like see gnawing sound fitting in? <laughs> Um, it's hard because yeah, we, we are like our, our running joke in the band is that we are too soft for punk bands and we're too harsh for indie bands. Um, and we played bills that are composed of both groupings, you know, like we've, we've been the only band on a bill that, you know, that a a member of our band didn't have a spike belt on. (laughs) And then we've also been the only band that like, we didn't capo six and tap the whole time, you know, like we, we've sure. played that, that like middle role mm-hmm. for our entire career, our entire year long career. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, it's kind of cool to exist in that because we like it, you know, we can kind of be chameleons. Like we can play with punk bands and like elements of it are familiar to, to people that are at the show, you know, like we're loud, like, I run my amp very loud and have a lot of distortion pedals. So like that kind of fits in elementally, mm-hmm. um, but then like, because there are like harmonies and like, you know, as best as, as 
my feeble voice can do is you know as nice as nice of melodies as I can write. There are some melodic elements to it. So when we play with indie bands, that kind of matches up. Um, but I I see bands like uh, like Super Crush or like Bug, um, like Big Bite stuff like that. Like those are kind of or uh, Matt's Matt from Big Bite solo project, The Berries. Uh, that kind of stuff is where I kind of see our thing our our style kind of landing in that similar thing where it's like obviously like very much nostalgic and like a like a tribute to the music that I'm assuming those those people grew up on but you know obviously what I grew up on like there are elements of like especially with like super crush like it's very apparent that he just fucking loves the gin blossoms and I also love the gin blossoms so that's why I love his band you know like so I I feel like we hopefully can kind of start to exist in that world uh, once COVID, you know, isn't tearing the live music scene apart. For sure. Yeah. I've, I've seen you mentioned like the gym blossoms a few times and uh, <laughs> I'll be honest. The only thing that I know is uh, whatever that everywhere, you, anywhere you go, I'll follow you down. So yeah, I'm, like, oh, it's on rips. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know that I necessarily see that connection. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's uh, I think that they, they were kind of one of those bands where the hits I feel like this happened a lot in the nineties, but the hits weren't necessarily like, and then the, there's an argument to be made that maybe that there's a reason why those were the hits, but the hits don't really <laughs> represent like, like to me, there's so many Jim Blossom tracks where there's like ripping guitar solos and mm. like they, they may, they might not get as fuzzy as we do, but they definitely are a big fan of like the gain channel and all of their marshals. Um, mm. so they, like there, there are definitely some like rock and Jim Blossom tracks, but then all the hits are the ones that it's like, you know, like very like, end of a sad movie song like like follow you down like that's you know it's such a like sweet little song and it's not there's not really anything that's like very gnarly about that song yeah for sure yeah it's always so weird to me like i'm trying to think what's the third uh is, is the third eye blind song or whatever where they talk about doing crystal math and like all like <laughs> oh yeah all, all of those songs are, are yeah like, semi-charm life yeah, yeah it's, okay, it's that's like what a I thought beautiful hook like it's an incredible chorus and then you realize what he's talking about yeah and like talking about like sex like we're pretty explicitly <laughs> into it. it's like it, it really proves to me like that no matter how crazy the lyrics are if it's like hit like if it's a pop song it's gonna be like a pop song no matter sure, what like yeah. through and through yeah <laughs> if it's, if it's got a hook it doesn't matter if it's about mainlining crystal it's you know if there's a hook there's a hook people will like it <laughs> that song gets tons of radio play and then you listen to it and you're like whoa yeah for sure um and i mean like the the band's um band camp bio like calls you like a loud rock and roll band that wishes you were a country band um <laughs> which i mean i don't know that i necessarily like fully see the country influence either except i mean maybe like on west coast steel where like you know or west coast where the, the pedal steel comes in um but like where does like that kind of influence come from for you and like what kind of what of like eras or subgenres of country are the, the kind of like ones that hit close to home for you yeah yeah, yeah. um so definitely like the my my favorite era <laughs> of country is like the cosmic country era. Um, so like Graham Parsons and Flying Burrito Brothers, um, any any of that like Southern California sound, um, which I like, like my dad really loves country music. So I, I heard a lot of that when I was a kid, but I don't know that I necessarily paid attention to it. So my kind of introdu- introduction to that was, um, I love the Rolling Stones. And they had that period where they like very much like once they met Graham Parsons, like 
all of a sudden Mick Jagger started singing with like a twangy accent and stuff, you know, like they, and they like every song had like a sad, like acoustic 12 string in the background. Um, so like that kind of uh, like acid country is very, very, uh, very much up my alley. It's, that's my favorite era. Um, and I, as far as its specific influence, um, yeah, I mean, West Coast, you know, like up until the like, heavy chorus I feel like West Coast is my best attempt at like trying to kind of write something in that style um, especially with the pedal seal um and like the like the the sort of affect not really affect but the the cool thing to me about country was that not necessarily great singers can still transmit really great emotions and really great feelings and really you know really relatable scenarios Mm -hmm. um and so that was really inspiring to me because i am not the best singer um so that i i feel like i kind of learned from people like graham parsons and even maybe you know like neil young and like like country era dylan um that like okay if i can't naturally hit this like kind of high note in the chorus i can like do this like twang it's almost like you're bending your voice like you would bend a note on a guitar you know like i can do this like kind of twangy thing and go around the note and so it doesn't sound like i'm a bad singer but (laughs) no one knows you know like it's kind of this intentional thing of like having that like almost you know like like a throwback way to the to the originals like a almost like a hank williams like yodel type bend (laughs) on it to to avoid having to hit challenging notes Um, for sure but i I will say the lp that we are currently working on um definitely had we we gave ourselves room uh to explore that influence a lot more i'll Mm -hmm. I'll leave that mysterious state (laughs) yeah i mean you i was gonna hit on the lp as well like i'm curious what's kind of like what's like the status on that what are you kind of like thinking you're going to be changing and continuing and all that good stuff yeah, so we, uh, before pre-COVID, we had, um, we've had this, this grouping of songs. Uh, we have 13 songs, um, and we've had most of the, these songs uh, for quite some time and have just kind of been in the woodshed, you know, making them the best that they can be. Uh, and then, so we had planned, this whole time we've been planning to record in the summer. Um, and then when this all happened, we were like, well there goes that like there's you know there's no way that we can possibly pull this off um but we the further into quarantine that we that we got uh we started talking we we just kind of shelved it you know we were like all right we're gonna have to do this in like december or something if that you know um and so we we had kind of taken it out of our minds um but alan who's recording it uh this guy up here in richmond named alan bergendahl um he kind of reached back out to us and was like, you know, I've been really thinking about it. And he, we, um, the four of us are all in this Google file uh, or Google drive of of all the, uh, we had done like, you know, kind of crappy demos of all the songs. And he was like, he was like, y'all, I listen to these demos all the time. And like, I, I want to make this record. And we were like, okay, like, yeah, you know, we do too. Like we're, (laughs) we're excited about it. He was like, I've been thinking about it. And like, there's, absolutely a way that we can like do this responsibly and do this like socially distanced. And so we've just been taking like tons of extra precaution, um, which has been really weird. Cause I've always 
in the past, it's always been like you block out like a week of time, you know, and then like mm-hmm. the whole band is there and everybody's making decisions together. So that kind of uh, commonality is kind of missing, you know, like I do kind of wish that we had been able to like, I'll hunker down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I'll kind of disappear for a week and make this record, but it's been kind of cool to like, so the rule is like uh, nobody, you know, like anybody that's not, essential to being there can't be there so we haven't had like friends stop by or anything which is kind of cool to like avoid distractions mm-hmm. um but like when we did the drum tracking i was playing guitar into into christian's headphones and christian track drums and alan was there obviously recording it and that's all like that was all that was there that day mm-hmm. um and then like on days when when i'm doing guitar or vocals it's just me and alan there mm-hmm. which has been really cool because we've had this kind of extra like we don't have a timeline now because you know the music industry is totally (laughs) like there's no you know there's no reason for us to have this record done by a certain period of time right now because it's not like we're going to be able to tour it Mm -hmm. uh so it's kind of cool to have all the time in the world to like revisit stuff and be like you know like when we were doing it that that pre-course felt really cool but now it sounds kind of corny let's go back and fix that or like you know like the like maybe we should in the second half of this song, like maybe we should go back and, and cut the click out for Christian and, and let him kind of naturally groove and let it take its, you know, if it speeds up, it speeds up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like we're going to, we're going to be really happy with the end result. Uh, it's just been a, you know, and like everything else, it's just been a new way of figuring out like, okay, like how do we make a record and not get anyone sick at the same time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool that you, you know, you said Alan was kind of the one who like, you know, pushed the recording schedule forward. It seems like that's a really cool, you know, relationship to have like a really cool extra like collaborator to kind of have. Can you tell me a little bit more about like that relationship? Yeah. Um, he's, he's great. He's an old head. He's been doing it for forever. Um, he started out uh, doing, like being like the tape operator at inner ear which is a famous studio in dc that like uh jay robbins worked at and like all i feel like almost every discord release was recorded there um so he was there like i can't remember if he was just hanging out or if he was on staff when fugazi did the argument but he's you know like been around for some really impactful records um and he has been working in Richmond and and doing recording here for quite some time. So he's, he's carved out his own little reputation here. Um, So he's great. And he's got a great ear for stuff. Uh, He, the first thing that we connected on was super drag. Um, He loves super drag and I do too. And so we were talking, you know, like he was, he was like, you know, the, if, if, if you say that you're like influenced by super drag and like fountains of Wayne and all this, like all these like power pop bands, he's like, the first thing I'm going to do is like, I'm going to be really tough on you on vocals. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, like be easy, but okay. So he's like, you know, it's, it's cool to have somebody like in the past records, it's always just kind of been a rush job, not a rush job, but like, it's, it's just kind of been like, you know, the engineer looking at us being like, all right, are you guys cool with that? And then us being like, yeah, we're cool with that. Like, that sounds good. But with Alan, like, he'll, like, uh, you know, we've been doing vocals recently. And so he'll, like, in the middle of a take, he'll, like, cut the tape and be like, what was that? Like, that's terrible. And I'll be like, whoa, like, <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> be like, we, we got to fix that. Like, he's like, if this is going to be the big chorus, like, you know, you want this to be like a hook and you want this to like stick in people's brains. So like, we got to fix that. And so I'll like come back into the engineer room and like, we'll sit down with an acoustic guitar, or, like a keyboard and like map out the actual vocal melody of like what notes I should be hitting. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have somebody that has that kind of attention to, for detail and like, he has a lot of theory knowledge, which I do not have. So having that kind of brain power, uh, has been really cool because I, I am now way more confident in the record, which I already, you know, I already thought the songs were cool and I already thought it was going to be a good record. If we had just done it live, you know, like if we had just mm-hmm. done it the way it was going to happen, I think yeah. it would have been great anyways. But he, having him like really reinforce, like, you know, there, like he, he has this rule of like, <laughs> there has to be a, a, an earworm always happening. So like, even if it's like a little, like a weird little organ line in the back of a like instrumental bridge or something, like, even if it's just like a little thing in the back of your headphones, like he is like, there always has to be something that whoever's like in their car can be like air drumming to, or like a little, a little like guitar line that somebody's going to want to like pretend they're playing in their car, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, it's been cool to like, He'll, we always like we're always like all right what's the ear arm like what's the what's the thing that people are going to be singing for sure. yeah and i mean you kind of like mentioned that you know extra kind of eye for detail on like the vocals and i know you've been in a bunch of bands before but more so on you know the instrumental side how has it been kind of you know the switching to the, the front person role uh it has been interesting uh it, it's been it's been really cool for personal growth reasons um <laughs> But it's definitely been a big transition. Uh, in the past, when I have been the front person of the band, um, like the most recent band that I fronted before gnawing uh, was this noise rock band in Charlotte uh, called Planet Creep. Um, and I just yelled. Like I, there, was no, there was no pitch to hit, you know? There was no <laughs> vocal melody to match, or I don't think anybody that was at our show, you know, we, we would all play through like two full stacks. I don't think anybody was ever really focused on what the vocals were doing. <laughs> um, so to go from that to this where like everything is, you know, like there's like a microscopic attention to to what I'm singing and like the, the way that I'm singing it now. Um, it's definitely been an adjustment, uh, but it's, I don't know. I, I feel like I am, writing the best songs I've ever written. I feel like I'm the most knowledgeable that I've ever been about music and, you know, not knowing theory, but still being able to know like, okay, like there's a reason why this chord sounds good with this chord, or there's a reason why if I sing this note while I'm playing this kind of conflicting chord, there's a reason why this sounds cool or it doesn't sound cool. (laughs) So it's been cool to, to, you know, be almost 30 and still be like, getting better at your instrument or getting better at your, your chosen hobby of songwriting. Yeah. And how has that affected, you know, stuff like your performances at like the live show or even like, you know, the back end, like business side of the band. Um, That has been also, you know, learning to like before, you know, like, like merch decisions would be like a group effort or, you know, like booking and, and like bands that we would play with and stuff would all be kind of a group effort and not that, Chris and Christian don't contribute now, but they, they came into this, you know, like it, the, the tape, the, the first gnawing tape is just me playing everything. Um, so they came into this kind of with the pre-established thing of like, all right, this is, 
this is like John's baby. So they like offer their input and stuff, but they, uh, for better or for worse, both kind of let me like make the final call. <laughs> and I don't know if that's always the right decision to make, but uh, you know, like with merch stuff, like I'll send them stuff, I'll send them designs and stuff and they'll be like, yeah, that's really cool. But like, you know, what are, you know, if you, if you pick this one, we'll go with that one. So, um, it's been kind of cool to, I'm not a very, I'm a Libra, so I'm not a very decisive person. <laughs> so it's been cool to be like, okay, like I have to pick a t-shirt design or like, okay, like this, this show in Philly needs locals. Like I got to decide on locals. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And um, I mean, it seems like, you know, Richmond has like kind of get hit in a little sweet spot down there. I know you got like, you know, down halls on refresh too. And yeah. uh, t- tomorrow I have an episode with house and home going up. Um, oh, tight. What's like, can you tell me a little bit about the scene down there? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's literally the reason that I moved here um, was, I mean, there, you know, there are obviously other reasons, but the, I was very excited when I decided that I was moving to Richmond. Um, I was very excited to be a part of the scene here. Um, it's, it's very friendly and welcoming and cool. You know, like there's kind of a, a reputation because there have been so many great, especially like punk and alternative bands from Richmond, historically speaking. So there's kind of a, you know, like when you say like you're a band from Richmond, I feel like you get like a little bit more, you know, like someone's like maybe even if it's just like an umpteenth little bit, maybe more likely to open your email. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know, it's it's really cool. Downhall are, you know, wonderful, wonderful people, um, great homies and house and home are awesome people. I met them through Gordon and through downhall. Um, they're great kids They put out a killer record. Um, and there's like a ton, you know, just everybody you meet in Richmond, like, you know, your, your server at every restaurant you go to is in a band or like <laughs> the person that's working, you know, I, I worked at guitar center for a little bit and like everybody else that worked at guitar center was also in like a kick-ass band. Like it just seems like it's just kind of something in the water here. Like, I don't know. Every band here is like, really cool and there's a really big effort here to like focus on diversity and and not have you know I think every scene is always a little bit guilty of when when several bands appear to be the very obvious front runners those bands get like the cool opening support slots and that definitely happens here um but as far as like any of the like you know shows that like gnawing would play any of the like middle of the road DIY shows like <laughs> those are all, you know, we've played with a ton of diverse bands and and it's not just like bills full of straight white men bands that are, you know, playing songs that are breakup songs and stuff. Um, (laughs) So that's really cool. There's, there's a lot happening here. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, I mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, the, the pedal steel on West coast. And I actually noticed today there's uh, on the cards, there's like a 12 string guitar somewhere on there too. Um, <laughs> I don't even know like what that sounds like when we're going to pick it out. So like what I, I'd love to know more about the 12 string guitar part. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like it, it, uh, if, if you've listened to the birds at all um, or like even the Beatles, there's a ton of 12 string on, on early Beatles singles. Um, it just is this like really, it's basically like, I think the chorus pedal was kind of designed to mimic it, but didn't really do it. So the chorus makes like its own cool, like, you know, kind of underwater sound that people now seek that out for that reason. But I think that initially the chorus effect was to try and kind of mimic a 12 string, but it just kind of adds a little bit like 
it's it's like a very chimey and bright way to play like really big chords so like on the on the seven inch um on west coast the the part that kind of complements the 12 string part uh christian actually played the played the 12 string on on west coast um but the there's like a part that's like that's the 12 string and it's like this like really it's just this really pretty sound i don't know i've always i've always really loved the way electric 12 and i, I think that is very much a uh, a symptom of growing up on classic rock because like you know like i said like the birds and tom petty and uh, bob dylan and the beatles all use 12 strings so <laughs> It just kind of comes with the territory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, um, I know Mathis and Ab was like one of the, was the first song you wrote um, for Nong and um, that, you know, has a lot of, you know, kind of like feelings of like nostalgia and like romance and stuff. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that song and like kind of like how those themes kind of like come in through your music? Yeah, definitely. So I, uh, like I said, when I was in uh, this band Planet Creek, um, this like super heavy band, uh, and all the songs were, you know, either like, like very political or very like, I'm depressed and I'm angry kind of <laughs> songs, um, which is, you know, like there's a, there's a great need for that kind of cathartic output. Um, but I had recently entered uh, a, this long distance relationship. Um, and so I was feeling very smitten and uh, just kind of like one day in my room while I was playing guitar, I just kind of like, hit that chord progression out of nowhere. And then I was like, man, that's, you know, like a really, uh, that's like a almost, almost like borderline cheese ball, but like a really good, <laughs> like, like really sweet chord progression. So I just kind of kept writing that. And then the, the lyrics just kind of, uh, you know, like it, it just kind of was like, man, like, you know, like this is a, this is a cute theme. Let's go with that. Like this is working for a verse. Let's go with that. And then it just all of a sudden kind of turned into a full song. Um, and I realized very quickly that it was not the kind of content that that would ever be a Planet Creep song because uh, it just wasn't like heavy, like noise rock, like hardcore type thing. Uh, so I was like, you know, like, OK, cool. Like, I have this. Like, I'll just keep this and like, you know, this, this will be in my back pocket for a minute. Um, and so then I just kind of kept writing other songs that were kind of poppy and kind of, uh, you know, nineties influence kind of like, I, I was in a really big phase. I kind of always am, but I was in a really big phase of listening to the Lemonheads, um, who are like one of my favorite bands. Um, Evan Dando's absolutely one of my favorite songwriters. Uh, and I just really appreciate how on the same record, you know, there can be like these really sweet, like love songs. And then there's also songs about like, you know, his, his, struggles with with substance abuse and his struggles with his mental health and stuff like that um and he always finds like kind of a it's almost like a like a sweet like kind of sarcastic way to not to make light of them or anything but he he always finds like a like a play on words or like a positive spin on these like very serious like very deep things and that kind of subtlety just didn't feel like the the kind of music that I was making in Planet Creep um and so I just kind of kept writing these pop songs and was like man you know maybe I should just record these and put them to tape and then just be done with it and then just have like this thing to look back on or like this thing to to send my partner you know like hey I wrote this like really dumb cute love song about you <laughs> um 
but then when we, when we made the tape, I was like, you know, man, these are kind of good. And then around that same time was when I moved to Richmond and was like trying to, you know, kind of find a, a band to be in up here because I really wanted to start playing shows in the scene up here. Um, and that around that same time was when I met Christian and I showed him the tape of just kind of like, it wasn't even like, Hey, let's, let's play these songs. It was just kind of like, this is kind of my wheelhouse, you know, like this is kind of the stuff that I know that I can write. Do you like this? And so I sent him the tape and he was like, this is amazing. Like, this is really sick. We should do this. We should run with this. And so then I, you know, I was like, all right, cool, let's do it. And so it turned into a full band. Awesome. And, and I mean, with the seven inch, there's also, you know, a couple of those porch demos that you put out. Um, and I think My Drug Buddy is kind of one of, is one of my favorite yeah. <laughs> uh, non songs so far. Um, could you tell me a little bit about, about that song? Is that uh, one that's going to end up on the full length? That, that's actually a Lemonheads cover. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So the Lemonheads <laughs> influence goes very deep. Yeah. So that is, uh, I think that was the first, the first Bandcamp day, actually, I think was the, was when we put the porch demos up. Um, the the West Coast that is the porch demo was the I recorded I had this little like uh, little like Radio Shack tape machine that I think was like used to record business meetings or something it has a you know <laughs> it just looks like very professional yeah um, but it's obviously like very dated it's from the 80s I think or 70s um, so I record I usually either record demos of new songs either on that or on my cell phone in like a voice memo but I, for some reason, had happened to record West Coast on that. Um, and it has that because the the tape wheels are kind of old. It just kind of has that, like, you know, there are moments where it kind of, like, detunes and, like, it has that, like, weird little warble to it. So I thought that sounded really cool, um, even just as, like, the the sketch of the song. Like, I don't, it's not even a particularly well-played song, uh, the, the porch demo, because I was just kind of mapping out, like, oh, yeah, this, this chord of progression will happen here. Um, but I thought it would be cool to put on Bandcamp as a little bonus for people who uh, bought the record on Bandcamp Day to kind of hear what the original version of West Coast sounded like. And then, yeah, Drug Buddy is uh, a Lemonheads cover, which I did on the tape machine just to kind of get that same warble effect. Um, but yeah, it's just a really, really, really good song. It's one of my favorite songs. Nice. Yeah, I've been... Uh... I've been going through a jam band phase recently. So I've been listening to a lot of like Grateful Dead bootlegs. So I definitely feel that, that the uh, vibe of the, of the old tape players. Yeah. And stuff. yeah. <laughs> you can't let that, that like weird tape hiss is such a good sound that you can't replicate when you do like digital recordings. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel the same. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I usually like, um, like to kind of wrap up by asking for either just like a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately that you kind of, you know, just want to share. Um, I mean, you know, I think at the forefront of, of everyone's conscious right now uh, is just ways to um, kind of further diversify, especially the DIY scene, especially the punk scene. Um, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who are outside of these worlds kind of use these worlds as a reference for some really radical movements that have happened that have been sort of, you know, like the punk movement has kind of been the catalyst for these things. You know, if you look at like the, like sort of nineties, you know, second wave of feminism like that, so much of that, uh, you know, like riot girl movement and stuff was, was very interconnected with punk. Um, so now as we are, 
you know, having these, these really tough conversations of continuing to find space for uh, non-white people, I think that, you know, do, do your part and book bands that aren't just white men on, on shows that you're booking. You know, once COVID is over, you know, <laughs> 10 years from now when the shows are a thing again, you know, booking bands that aren't just all straight white men doing, you know, kind of getting back into, when I was a kid, punk shows were always, like, it was always a punk show and a social cause, like, it would be a benefit for something, or, like, Food Not Bombs would be there before to, like, give everybody dinner before the show, or it'd be, like, a potluck or something, and I think that we got kind of off of that track, Um, and so, like, making, you know, making room and making space for that again, where, you know, like, when shows come back, like, sure, you know, everybody that's, like, you know, in a band for a living, like, obviously you want to get paid and like, you know, even if you're not in a band for a living, if you, if you're performing your art, you deserve to be paid. But like, we should also be, if punk is such a community, if DIY is such a community, we should be showing that by what we're doing with, you know, if we have leftover funds or making space for funds to go to mutual aids in in every city that you're playing on tour or, you know, local organizations or, you know, even if it's, you know, you're taking a little bit off of record sales and donating them to, to Black Lives Matter organizations and things like that. Like, I think that that kind of work is is what makes punk rock so great and such a revolutionary concept. And I think just a conscious effort for especially white musicians to, to kind of make their way back to that that root of the, of the punk world. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, are there any um, like organizations or resources or bands that are particularly like stand out to you that you want to shout out? Yeah, for sure. So um, in Richmond, uh, uh, right right when COVID started, um, the mutual aid distro in Richmond had had really kicked in full gear, um, and they still are going now. Um, they are giving. I mean, they they started with like a food bank, and it's now to the point where they're like providing like window units for families that don't have AC. Like they are doing everything. Um, and they've been super important and super huge in organizing a lot of the, the Black Lives Matter demonstrations that have been happening in Richmond. Um, they're just like angels. They're, they're truly doing some, some killer work. So definitely Mutual Aid Distro of Richmond. Uh, I think their Instagram is MadRVA. Um, but I think, you know, I think that they're kind of a, there's a trend of that happening. So if you're listening to this and you're not in Richmond, you know, look up the, the Mutual Aid of your community and make sure that you're, donating and, and listening to what they're saying and amplifying those voices. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, was there anything uh, that you've really been wanting to get out about knowing that I haven't uh, hit on? Uh, when we are allowed to tour again, please come see us <laughs> and um, be excited for our LP. Cause it's, uh, it's, it's very much like the things that we've done, but it's very much a, a new growth and a natural progression of the songs that we've already released. Um, I think it'll, I think it'll surprise everybody and I'm very excited for that and I hope other people are. Another episode in the bag. Thanks to John for taking the time to talk and to you for taking the time to listen. How excited are you for a gnawing full length now? I know I can't wait to get my ears on it. There's so much great music coming out of Richmond right now and it's all got a lot of heart, so be sure you're tuning into it. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FindTheCallPod. 
Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at flyonthecallpod at gmail.com. Bye-bye now. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.